It is February, and we are still in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're not going to be getting out of 1 Timothy anytime soon, but that's okay. Um, tonight, we're going to look at three verses. And so you can tell that we're going at a snail's pace here. And I think, I think next month it'll be a bigger chunk. But as I was praying about our, our time this evening tonight, what I, what I uh, felt, what I think is true, I know is true, is I'd rather read three verses and be changed than read a chapter and, and totally forget what we read. And I think what you're going to find is in, in these three simple verses, there is uh, a treasure of truth and of application. And so I pray that uh, our meager attempts in working our way through this book would be used by God in glorious ways. And and um, our message for tonight, or the title of the message tonight, if you're taking notes or if you're just participating along and listening with us, is God, we want to be a God-exalting youth group full of God-exalting teens. A God-exalting youth group full of God-exalting teens. And if you don't understand what that means, that's okay. The problem is if you don't understand it on the way out of here tonight. Um, this is well known to some of you, but, but God cares about your life. God cares about you. you. You might not feel that, but it's true. God says it's true. And he wants to help you and I to understand what it looks like in real life to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, if any of us have a temptation to think that Christianity is just adhering to some facts... Uh, or just doing a couple things on Sunday morning and occasionally on Saturday night, and then going back into real life, all we need to do is read First Timothy to know that's not true. Uh, this book makes clear that we are saved by God's grace alone. We, we aren't saved through our works. We're not saved through our merit. We're saved, as we've sung about tonight, by repenting of our sin, turning away from the world, turning away from the things the world offers, and trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we're forgiven, not because of our efforts, but in trusting by faith in the efforts of Christ. Christ led the perfect life. Christ died on the cross for our sins. So we're saved by grace alone. And yet, and in 1 Timothy talks about that grace alone, but 1 Timothy also talks about the fact that if you are a disciple of Christ, your life will never be the same. That when you become a Christian, you are radically changed by God. And this evening, in these three little verses, God tells us a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So, we're going to read verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-10, to 10, and then we'll pray. This is God's perfect word. It says, I desire, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Lord, we pray that you would remind us this evening that our hope and our peace and our righteousness are found in you and you alone. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your great love for us. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that the one who's been saved by you is changed by you. And Lord, my desire, I know many here, their desire is that we would be God-exalting teens. God-exalting parents. That we would be men and women who live for your glory. That we would be about you and not ourselves. And so Lord, as we, as we look at these verses, I pray you would encourage us and help us, Lord, to be more and more like our Savior. It's in His name we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. So two points tonight. Point one, holy men of God. Point two, godly women of holiness. So point one, holy men of God. Point two, godly women of holiness. And as you notice from either the passage or my points, this passage is structured into two very clear sections. One to the guys, one to the girls. And my encouragement to you, and I'm going to give reasons why, my encouragement to you, though, is don't check out when it's not talking about you. So my last name is Ross. And in school, when they would do things in alphabetical order, whether it was a class assignment or, or something else, when they would start going through the A's, I would just check out. I was going to my happy place. You know, I'd start thinking about sports or uh, some book I was reading or sports. I mentioned sports, you know, and so I would just kind of check out and, and just, it was like the, my subconscious was listening and when they'd get around the M's, I would start listening again. I always, I was so jealous when I met Kelly. Kelly's maiden name is Anderson. I thought, Anderson, you could, you could, you know, you could have them say your name and then you could completely check out. She goes, yeah, I've got to be married to a Ross, and now I get bumped to the back, right? And, and so don't do that. Don't do that when we're talking to the other gender. Here's three quick reasons why. One, one, although God's Word here and, and in Scripture sometimes talks to specific groups that you might not be a part of, all of God's Word is profitable. Second Timothy 3.16, all of God's Word is breathed out by God and is profitable. So it's all profitable. We grow in studying every verse of the Bible, even if application of that verse looks different based on gender or season of life. And so, you know, even as a married man, when I hear verses to singles, there, there's an application there. It's a different application. But, but when it talks about singles finding their identity in Christ and remembering who they are in Jesus and laying their life down for God, that's a, that, a, that applies to me even if the application's different. So... Guys, listen to the girls' sections, and girls, listen to the guys' sections, because there is application, even if it's different in application. Two, if you are a Christian, you are a brother or sister to every other believer in Christ, which means our church and this youth group is family. If you are a Christian here, you are in family, you are in community with every other Christian. So we're family in the deepest sense of the word, uh, and as a brother or sister in Christ, you are called to pray for, to care for, to encourage the other brothers and sisters in Christ that God has sovereignly placed around you. It just didn't happen that you're here tonight or you're in this youth group or you're in this church and, oh, some other people are here too. No, no, they're there on purpose. And your responsibility is to love on them and care for them and help them get to heaven. You, you might not spend the rest of your life with them, but for as long as they're in this church and you're in this church, you're called to care for them. And so as a brother or sister, we want to know 
how God is calling our brother or sister forward that we might pray for them, that we might encourage them, that we might care for them. So don't check out so that you can be a means of grace to them. And three, preparation for marriage. And this is a comment to the youngest and the oldest teen in this room. You might not be in a season right now where dating uh, is appropriate. If you're not spiritually, physically, financially ready to marry, most likely you're not ready to date. However, and I think that as you've gotten time with me, some of the older guys uh, over the years, you've heard me say this. It doesn't shock me when a guy or a girl is, is attracted to another guy or girl in this group. You're not going to hear from me, oh, you sinner. You like a girl in our youth group? Or you like a guy in our youth group? Oh, my. I'm so taken back by this. You might not be ready to date, but it's a good thing. The question I ask the guys is not, oh, what a shock. It's who are you attracted to? What, what type of guy or girl do your affections get stirred up by? And I bring that up because this passage talks to you about what type of guy or girl you should desire if God brings the gift of marriage one day. You know, when you think about the guy or girl you want to marry, what are your categories? Have you just created them? Or are they being influenced by God? And and when guys and girls, you know, in our youth group or just brothers and sisters who are teens in my life and I get to talk to you in other places, when, when they are attracted to, to godly men or women who love Jesus, that love the church, you want to be appropriate in the fanning that into flames, but that's encouraging to me. I'm glad. I say, yeah, maybe not yet, but I love the fact that those are the te- people you are thinking about. And so allow this to, to fill in your grid for when that day comes. Don't be like me. I had this list that I walked around with of the perfect girl. And it was not a a God-defined, God-fanned-in-flame list. And I'm so glad that God did not give me what I wanted. Because I got something much better by His grace. So, three reasons to keep listening even when they're not talking about you. Point number one, holy men of God. Holy men of God. Look at verse 8. I desire then that in every place the man should pray. I desire that in every place the men should pray. A couple months ago we read the earlier section of this chapter and it talked about the content, about what we should be praying about. Here it talks about the conduct. So it was content, now it's conduct. It is the action of our prayer. I desire... This is a phrase that means an authoritative command. Paul is the author, and yet he is speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so it's right to understand that the Apostle Paul desires this, but even more importantly, God desires this. And God here is not politely asking, Hey guys, uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you have some extra time in your week or your month, could you, could you please get around to, to praying? No. That's not what he's saying. God is calling for his sons to be men of prayer. Guys, are you a follower of Christ? Have you turned away from this world and bowed the knee to Christ and said in faith, Lord, I'm yours. 
Use me for whatever you want. If so, God is answering that in part in verse 8 by saying, I desire for you to be a man of prayer. I want you to be a man of prayer. I want you to passionately seek me again and again. And it says, I desire that in every place the men should pray. Prayer to God is to be offered passionately everywhere, in every church, in every Christian home, in every nation, in every school, in every co-op, in every office complex, factory, and field. Although different organizations have sought to stop the public prayer of God's people, it is impossible to stop. They can root it out in a traditional way. They can root it out in a public way. They cannot root out the inward prayers that we lift up to God at any moment in the day. I desire in every place that men should pray. It talks about in Malachi 1.11. Write that down if you have your notes. Malachi 1.11. Let this encourage your faith. My name will be great among the nations. That's Malachi 1.11. My name will be great among the nations. Teens, think about this. Let this build your faith in what God is doing. When that was given, My name will be great among the nations. Think about how many nations were talking about the true God. One. And maybe some stragglers here and there who had been a part of Israel and and maybe moved on. In the Old Testament, there's one tiny nation that that holds God's people when Malachi 1.11 is inspired by God. My name will be great among the nations. And teen, that is exactly what has happened over the last 2,000 years. The gospel is spreading all over the world. It was in one tiny little country of Israel. And now people proclaim the name of God. They, they, they pray. They pray to God. They worship God in Western Europe, in Eastern Europe, in Africa, in Australia, in China, in South America, in Central America, and North America. I know that's just, that's just true, right? You just, you get to pray for the nations, and we're trying to pick some of the hardest nations, the most kind of hardened up by the walls of, of politics or, you know, different religions. And yet even in the countries we pick for pray for the nations, there's Christians there. And so even in the hard countries, we see some believers. And so, yeah, of course, believers all over the world. Do you see that as God's power? He desires people to pray everywhere. And he is moving that forward by the advancement of the gospel. And so Christians are to pray all over the world. And, and this applies a little bit closer to home, we're called to pray in every area of life. If you have your notes, I encourage you to write that. In this praying everywhere, I desire that in every place the men should pray. That means every local church, every Christian local church, there should be men passionately praying. But it also means every area of your life. We can be tempted to segment our life into different sections, right? When I was a teen, there was there was church Ben, there was school Ben, there was work Ben, there was home Ben, there was sports, music, friends. There's all these different kind of components in my mind. And, and maybe you feel this at times. 
Prayer makes sense in some of those areas. Church, yeah, that makes sense to pray at church. Maybe around the dinner table, that makes sense. Maybe before we do devotions or you just read the Bible, that makes sense. But we build these these walls up that, well, I don't pray in those other areas. Pray at school? What? Pray before sports or before a big recital or before math, before math tests or maybe just where I'm struggling in the middle of something? Praying then? We, we build false walls up. They're, they're not real. We segment our life like that, but God doesn't segment, segment your life like that. God doesn't say He's Lord of some areas, but not all. He, he doesn't say, hey, interact with me here, but not over here. He wants you to, in every area of your life, to be a man and a woman of prayer. Young man, do you have that type of zeal? Do you have that type of heart to say, God, in every single area, I need your grace. I need your direction. I need your help. A man of prayer is a godly man because a man of prayer is a humble man. I want to grow in being a man of prayer. And when mornings or afternoons or days go by and I'm not constantly seeking God, do you know what that says about me? It's saying, I think I'm good enough. I can do this in my own strength. God, I don't, this doesn't even come on my radar. And so a man of prayer is a godly man because he's a humble man because it shows that he really believes God's word. Because God's Word says, and you've heard me say this over and over again, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Not a little bit. Not everything but the hard stuff. Nothing. There is no category in your life or my life where we can do it apart from God. And so the man of prayer gets that. The man who constantly is going to the Lord says, I understand my weakness and my desperation and I need God. To be God-exalting means to live with God at the center of your life. He is your strength. He is the one you worship. He is the one that you are to be about. And that's my desire for us as teens and as a youth group. To be God-exalting teens. To be, to be teens who are desperate. Teens who believe that there's nothing in their life they can do without God's grace and strength. And God is calling for that here. I desire that in every place the men should pray. Another way to say it would be, I desire that every Christian man would be a humble man submitting himself to me. Verse 8 concludes by stating, we as men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So it's not just a call to pray, it's a call to pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Guys, this does not mean that the only way God hears you is your hands are raised. doesn't mean that He only answers you if your hands are raised. doesn't mean that's the only way you should ever pray. So if you ever do it any other way, you're doing it wrong. And we know that because God in the Bible states there are multiple ways to pray. Don't, don't have to write these down if you don't want, but just I want to list them. Head bowed, Psalm 5-7. Kneeling, Daniel 6-10 and Acts 7-60. Flat on the ground, Numbers 16-22, Joshua 5-14. Standing, 
as people would stand in a courtroom for the judge, Second Chronicles 6.13, and then raising of hands here in Psalm 134, 1-2. There's different ways to pray. There isn't one right way to pray. And, and honestly, teens, I just want to cast this vision for you now. It's not the message for tonight, but each of those um, ways to pray are there because they say different things about who God is and who we are. They, they highlight different things about His sovereignty and His holiness, just who He is. And, and my prayer for you, honestly, is that over the life that you live, that you would find yourself in each of those positions of prayer as time goes on. There's been times where I've just stood praying to God in exaltation, and I was sharing with the new members class this morning times when I've been flat on the ground hopeless in myself. All my strength spiritually feeling gone and all I could do was just lay my face on the old carpet back in our old house and just crying out to God. There's something uh, something good in each of those different ways. So there's different ways to pray. Here he's highlighting hands raised, but, but he's uh, way more, God is way more interested in the purity of the prayer and not the physical posture. The, the most important word there is lifting holy hands. Holy hands. When, when we pray, men, God wants us to be passionate, but He wants us to be lifting holy hands. And, and that's a phrase that we see in the Old Testament. God's people consecrated themselves by washing their hands before prayer. Clean hands symbolized a pure heart. And so there were these pure, these pools all over the Temple Mount. And so when Paul mentions the outward sign of holy hands, he's talking about the inward reality of a holy life. Guys, what God is saying here is He wants us to be men of prayer and He wants us to be men who are holy. And we know that we can only be holy through Christ. We, we only can be washed clean by the blood of Christ. And so we, in being saved, are, are brought into relationship with Christ. But what the Word does not say is, hey guys and gals, uh, get saved, and then it really doesn't matter how you live after you get saved. Because hey, you're saved, you're forgiven, it's fine. Just do whatever you want the rest of your life. It's just not what the Bible says. The Bible says to, to strive for holiness. To be holy as I, God, says, am holy. To, by the mercies of God, present your life as a living sacrifice. You know, and this is for you, true for you ladies. It's not that you are not passionate for things. But as men, we can be passionate about things, can't we? I, I, I am competitive. And so I can be passionate to want to win even at Connect Four. <laughs> Malin was like getting close to beating me. It's not going to happen. Anderson constantly beats me at Battleship. And I, it's, it's just a game of chance. And Anderson's like, yeah, and you lost again. 
You know, so I, I can be, I can set my mind on something competitive or, uh, when it, you know, it comes to just a physical activity. Okay, however fast I ran last time, I want to run faster this time. Or it can be anything, but just as men, just I am going to, I'm going to achieve this. And, and those things are good. It's not, it's not wrong to have uh, your eyes fixed on something and to go after it. But if we are excited about something as silly as Connect Four or running or finances, how much more when it comes to holiness? Christ-exalting teens, God-exalting teens are men who are saying, I want to be more like Christ. Yes, I'm resting in grace. I'm not trying to earn something. I'm not trying to climb a ladder. In light of what God has done, I want to be more like Jesus. Guys, is that how you are? Is that how I am? Where do I need to ask God for fresh grace and strength to be that type of man? I don't want to be a group that just kind of meanders through the teen years. Let's be men who pursue Christ now. Let's be godly men of prayer lifting holy hands. God's Word is clear that when we are far from the Lord relationally, that hinders our prayers. It talks about husbands. That, that husbands who are far from the Lord, it, it hinders their prayers in praying for their wife. And so we want to think about these passages and, and be affected and to be men who pursue holiness. May we be like that man in Luke eighteen thirteen. Be merciful to me, a sinner, Lord. Holy men are not men who are like, I'm awesome, and so God, listen to me. I'm, I'm crushing it lately, so come in here to do what I do because I'm just, I've been a really good Christian. A, a holy Christian, a holy man is a man who says, be merciful to, to me, a sinner, Lord. It, it, again, it's filled with humility. It's filled with, with grace. Teens and dads and Ben, are you and I men of prayer? Do we see it as a command? Or is it you know, kind of see, see it as a secondary thing? Yeah, if I get around to it. God's calling us to be men of prayer. And, and young ladies, I want to I wanna put this type of man before you. you know, when that day comes for you to consider, is this the man I am called to marry? There, there's, there's more questions than just this one. Most importantly, is he a Christian, right? If he's a Christian... If he's not a Christian, run away. Do not be unequally yoked, as the Scriptures say. So, is he a Christian, most importantly? But is he a man of prayer? I don't think that's a question that that a young woman naturally thinks of. Is he a man of prayer? Does he, does he know the Word? Which is a great question. Does he love the church? It's a great question. Is he a man of prayer? If he is, the humility that flows in that man that, that he understands that he is desperate for God. That he needs a Savior. That he needs grace. Not one time a long time ago. Every single day. I don't know if God will have marriage for my three girls. Single is a gift. Married is a gift. But, but if God has marriage for any of my three daughters, you know, if he's not rich, if he doesn't have a great job, if he's not uber gifted, if he's not you know an amazing extrovert and just easy to hang out with, if he's not those things, but he's a man of prayer, my daughter's a winner, and it'll be my joy to give her hand in marriage. And so, 
Young ladies, when you think about the man God would have for you one day, do you think, I want a man of prayer? Second point, a godly woman of holiness. A godly woman of holiness. Verse 9 begins with an important word. Likewise. Likewise. That's an important word because it shows that Paul is seeking to connect what he is about to say with what he has just said. I'm sure for a lot of you ladies, I guess, could be wrong, but my guess is you've heard verse 9. But it, sometimes it gets pulled out of context. It's just, okay, it's a verse about modesty, and modesty is important, so let's, let's read that verse. But, but the likewise shows us that we need to see what it's connected to. And it's connected to holiness. Because what he's saying here for the guys is the difference between holy hands is anger and quarreling. Don't be an angry man. Don't be a, a man who quarrels. Don't be a divisive man. That's the opposite of being a holy man. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. That, that verse 10 is so important. So, so men, godly men, are you a follower of Christ? You should look different than the world. You should be holy. You shouldn't be angry like the men of the world. You should not be quarrelsome like the men of the world. Likewise, are, are you a woman who is a follower of Christ? Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you one, as it says in verse 10, who profess godliness? You also should look different than the world. God's people should look different. We should be holy. One of the definitions of holy is set apart. And so when it comes to the ladies... Obviously, God's Word says more than this. We're looking at these three verses tonight. This is not all that it means to be a godly woman by any any measure. But but one of the things that that distinguishes a godly woman who professes godliness is the way she appears outwardly. And it's so important in understanding who Paul is writing to and the culture they live in. And, and it doesn't mean, teens, and this is important, it doesn't mean that truth changes based on the culture you read it. It's not true. wouldn't be uh, true in America in this way and then true in Europe in a different way. No. God's Word is once for all time truth. But He is writing to real people. He's writing to real cultures. And so it's important that you and I understand, understand context so we understand who He's writing to, the culture they live in, and it helps us understand what he means. And and so, uh, as we've already talked about in this this study, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. This is a Hellenistic culture. And in this culture, elaborately braided hair was a sign of extravagant luxury. Okay, so if you would have saw a woman in Ephesus with braided hair, it would have said something about the cost. It would have said something about her social position. When I walk in the house at night after a work day and I see Malin's hair braided, dollar signs don't go off in my head, right? I don't say, Kelly, what have you done? Why did you spend all that money on Madeline's hair? I don't, I don't say that. As a 10-year-old girl, I usually just affirm her that, hey, you're getting better and better at braiding your own hair. I feel a little bit sad that she's getting better and better at braiding her own hair, right? I liked it when it was just crazy and 
appreciate. I will not. I'm doing it. I was going to say something, but I'm going to, I'm going to respect my daughter. She might or might not have had a, a crazy bird's, you know, nest back there one time and didn't come out for a couple of days. I don't know. Um, she's getting better and better braiding her hair, and and it doesn't mean that she sees herself as above others. She's braiding her hair, and Sayla, our our, our one daughter, is African American, and and so to keep her hair healthy. Uh, Kelly has to every couple weeks change the style. And so, as any of you know, they know Sayla goes from kind of puffs to rows to beads. And, and it doesn't mean, we never look at Sayla and think, oh, she's got the beads in. Oh, a little hoity-toity around here. You know, we, we don't look at the beads and say, oh, beads are upper class while puffs are lower class. We, we just don't do that when it comes to hair in our culture like this. But that's not the way it was in their culture. In their culture, that amazing, fancy, complex braid, it came with weight. It came with a, a, a kind of a value system. It came with a financial cost associated with it. And in understanding the context further, Paul doesn't just say braided hair. He says braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. And in this culture, and, and we can relate to this, there were women who were spending great amounts of money by what God had given them in both time and money to their outward appearance for the purpose, and this is so important, they were spending great amounts of money for the purpose of finding their identity in what others thought of them. That's so important. They were spending all this money on their hair, all this money in jewelry, all this money in clothing to find their identity and what the culture thought about them. And so it doesn't mean necessarily in their culture or ours that elaborate hairstyles or expensive jewelry or expensive clothes is proof of vanity and worldliness, but it was potential evidence potential evidence of that. And that if it was true, it should not be the case for a professing godly woman. Finally, in regards to understanding the culture in which Paul wrote, um, excessive adornment was characteristic not only of, of those who sought to place their identity in wealth, but also those who were physically immoral. Ephesus was home to the goddess Artemis, who was known for physical immorality and and marital unfaithfulness. And the members of the church in Ephesus could have seen the temple from where they were, the the temple of Artemis. And, And the followers of this goddess actually loitered around the outside of the temple. And Paul is stating here, not just that the women of Christ, that they shouldn't seek the the, the same places of identity and worth and value as, as the rich, But it also says that they should not dress in a way similar to those who were physically immoral. And ladies, as Christians, we're all called to take a stand for different things, but but when it comes to this topic, as Christians, there are times when we are called by God lovingly, graciously, to stand against certain things in our culture. to, To not go with the culture. To show that Christians are different. And I say graciously and lovingly on purpose. It's not, it's not an arrogant standing against the culture. It's a loving, gracious, we are different as Christians. And what Paul is saying here is that in word and action, you should stand against a culture that finds your identity in your clothing and your fashion choices and the dresses you wear and the jewelry you wear and not view you as a piece of meat. 
and not a woman cherished and made in the image of God. As women, you're called to stand for that. that you're more than your outfit. You're more than your clothing. You're more than something to be looked upon. And guys, we're called to stand for that as well. We're called to help them in that. That's not, oh, that's for you girls. That's something for you to need to deal with. No, as men, we're called to support and pray and help and care for that. Probably most importantly by not doing it, right? But not by not viewing them as simply something to be viewed, but to see them as women made in the image of God. Christian women should feel more loved, more cared for, more respected than any other women on the face of the earth. And that's for you, teen guys, as much as it's for the fathers in this room. When you are around Christian girls, do they feel your respect and your love and your care in all the right ways? And so it's saying here um, what you're not supposed to do. You're not, you're not supposed to find your identity in your fashion. You're not supposed to find your identity in, in expensive jewels. You're not to spend outrageous amounts of money on outward appearance. But it, it goes beyond that. And this is the last part of what we'll see tonight. It tells us as young ladies... What you are called to do. It also says the positives. Look look at it there in verse 9. Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. So there's two phrases there that I want to look at. It's not just, don't do this. It's, it's do this. Godly women should adorn. They, we, you should clothe yourself in respectable apparel. That, that first phrase means appropriate clothing. Godly women should wear appropriate clothing. Clothing that is suitable for someone who calls themselves a follower of Christ. Just just like the men should be appropriate in how they speak. You should not be angry. How can you say that you're a follower of Christ and yet just be quarrelsome and divisive and angry? That is not appropriate. And in the same way, if you are a follower of Christ... Desire to wear respectable apparel. Do not wear worldly clothes or revealing clothes or spend a large percentage of your money on clothes and jewels. And there's not, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, girls, it's not a do this, not that. It really really does come down to prayer, doesn't it? It really does come to, to interacting with your parents or interacting with your friends and talking through these things. Talking to Kelly tonight about it, and Kelly was saying, you know, the, the question of what does it look like to glorify God in my fashion or in my clothing, that doesn't come easy. And it would be so much easier if we just said, well, it means this and not this. But as we'll talk about in just a moment, it's not that easy. So I know that in saying respectable uh, attire, that could come with a lot of questions, and, and, and I want to help you with that, and your mom's probably even more, more helpfully will, will want to talk to you about that. But, but what does that mean? Because we see it here in God's Word. The other phrase is, with modesty and self-control. With modesty and self-control. And I love this phrase, because it shows that it's not simply the clothes and jewelry you wear or don't wear, but your heart's. 
It's not just putting on, okay, these clothes are godly clothes, so I'll put these clothes on. No, it goes so much deeper. It goes into your heart. I think people get into trouble when it comes to modesty, when they leave out the importance of the heart. If you leave out the heart, you you minimize modesty to simply outward fulfilling of some rules. If we teach or believe that modesty is fulfilled when the skirt is a specific length. I was, I was joking about like bringing a tape measure tonight and see if I could get you guys to buy into that. Hey, I brought my tape measure. Let's see. What is appropriate? Let's see. When, yell out when you think I'm there. You know, that's not, that's, that's just not modesty as biblically defined. It's not a, a specific length. It's not a certain earring size. Okay, so you, if you have a diamond that's this carat, you're okay. But if it's a little bit bigger, Oh, you are a horrible sinner. Right? It, it doesn't work like that. It's not about a certain brand. Yeah, okay, this brand is okay, but, but this brand is not. If we play those games, and I'm not saying that there aren't real application points, but if we play the game that it's purely outside of us, we miss what God wants to do. And I've asked those questions myself, ladies. I, I, I know it's to girls here, but, but I've had to ask those same questions like with, with brands. I really like Banana Republic. I like their clothes. And I have to ask myself, do, do I like their clothes because it's Banana Republic? And I like when people like the clothes I wear? And, ooh, is that Banana Republic? You know, or is there a, no, I, I like it because it's, it's well made and, I go to the outlet, so it's like half the price, and you know, and and, and these are clothes that stand the test of time. So the, these are heart questions that that I need to ask. So it's not just certain rules; it's what's coming out of the heart. Because modesty, it, it actually means considering and having regard for others. I think sometimes we make modesty. Modesty means, again, a certain length. But, but modesty means. Seeking to live in a way where you are a blessing to others. You are thinking of others. It's really similar to Philippians 2, counting others more significant than yourself. So it's about other people, not you. Think about how backwards that is from our culture. Not, not all the times, but, but in our culture, at times, for women and men, it's to be self-centered, right? When it, when it comes to these issues, look at me. Be attracted to me. Affirm me. Tell me how much worth I have because of how I look or what I'm wearing. Can you feel that as a teen going into certain places sometimes? It just it just centers around me. Okay, am I wearing something that, that people like? I hope they don't make fun of me. I hope, I hope this is nice. Finding my value and if they like it and, and sinking if they don't. That's not modesty. Modesty is saying, how do I live in such a way where I glorify God with my body, with my outward appearance. And so the call here, ladies, in being modest is, is to not be putting yourself forward in an inappropriate way. To, to not put yourself forward in a way that it's just all about you. And I'll talk more about this in a moment, but, but seeking to dress nice is not wrong. However, if your motive in dressing a certain way is to gain something from others that you already have in Christ, something's off. 
If you're, if you're trying uh, in, your, in what you're wearing, your, your motive is, I want to gain approval. I want to gain identity. I want people to like me. You're, you're finding something in others that you can only find in Christ. You see, when we make modesty about the heart, we realize it's not just what you're wearing, but why you're wearing it. And that matters. It's not just the what, but the why. We, we can simply follow some rules on a chart, but, but in the why question, we have to go to God for help, for guidance. And girls, this passage is not saying that if a Christian woman is ever interested in fashion, you have sinned. It's not saying Christian girls should only wear dark gray all the time. And if you ever go past dark gray, what are you doing? It's not saying you should never wear jewelry. Don't, don't go, don't go too far. God is a creative God. He loves beauty. He loves creativity. Today was a beautiful day, wasn't it? He made it. And He made you. And He loves you. And He loves your creativity. He loves the creativity of many of you in the, in the way it comes out in fashion. It's not wrong to, to put something together. And so I really like how this looks. Madeline, I love, she, she loves to draw and she likes to draw, uh, different fashion outfits. And I encourage her in that. If they're inappropriate, we have a conversation, right? But, but creativity? Do, do I, you know, do you not think that, uh, people that, that create beautiful outfits, that they glorify God whether they know it or not? That He is a creative God? That he, he makes, that he invents. So please don't hear me say that somehow if you don't wear sweatpants tomorrow, you're off. That's just not true. It's not what God's saying. Now, I wish we all wore sweatpants and hoodies. That would be a perfect life for me, I think. <laughs> Mrs. Ross said the other day, there's no amount of money you wouldn't spend on a good hoodie. She is right. Because I can get a thousand wares out of those hoodies. But if you like to dress up more... It's not wrong. Here's what God is saying. Don't find your identity in your fashion. Don't find your worth in what people think of your outward beauty. Don't find your identity and your value in what's in your closet. Don't find your identity and value in, in, the, in where it's from. That's the culture putting that in front of you. Don't buy the hype. And in, in the other way of saying it, glorify God in your appearance. Think of others. Consider God. Consider your motives. And seek in a right way to glorify God with your body. And guys, so I said to the girls, guys, let's grow in our desire to marry women with a heart of modesty. Because a woman whose identity and value is in Christ and not in this world is invaluable. A woman who wants to remember that she first and foremost is a follower of Jesus? That's a treasure. Proverbs 31.30 Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who submits herself to the Word and tackles hard things like this. This isn't like a message where oh, it's all tied up and we all know what to do now. It's, you know, for, for guys and gals, there's a going to the Lord and talking to our parents and what does this look like and what do you think, mom and dad? 
But that's the type of woman I want you guys marrying. Not someone who just quickly moves on from God's Word, but grabs and says, okay, what does it look like to obey this Scripture? What does it look like? Okay, I have this desire for fashion, and yet I don't want it to be my identity. I I like to wear nice things, and yet I want to be modest. And what does it mean to be modest? And, And really seeking God. That's a gift to us as men. And we close, and this will not surprise you, we close with the Gospel because none of us have done this perfectly, right? There's nobody, there's no guy here who can just say, yep, I lift my holy hands all the time. No, my hands are stained with sin and it's only by the blood of Christ that I can move towards God. And for you as girls, I don't want to speak for you, but my guess is there's been times where you've found your identity and your worth and your value in what people think and not what God thinks. And so we all need to go to God again and just be reminded of His grace and His mercy. If you've blown it, like I've blown it again and again, you don't run from God, you run to God because of Christ. You can go confidently to the throne of grace. And he will give you grace upon grace. And He will give us eyes and hearts and minds to want to live for Him. To be God-exalting teens. And, and by God's grace for this to be a God-exalting youth group. It, it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfect. It means men and women, teens, who say, God, we want You to be our everything. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You would help us to apply this passage. Lord, I pray that as men, we would be men of prayer. That whatever is holding us back, that You would remove, that we would constantly be passionate men, lifting up holy hands, that we be men pursuing holiness and going to You again and again for grace and strength, Lord. And I pray for the women, Lord, that, that likewise, they would look different than the world. That their identity and their value would not be in the things of this world. That it would be in Christ. And that they would, Lord, as Your Word commands, be modest in the most biblical sense of the Word. Lord, help us to understand what it looks like to apply this and give us the grace, Lord, that as we fail, we, we run back to You again and again and again. And we receive Your mercy and we receive Your grace and we receive Your forgiveness and that it would stir us up all the more to grow in our, our passion for You. We pray for this in Jesus' name.